0: Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at a topical series that we've entitled Landmines. And we're going to talk about uh, some things and issues that we as a church don't get to address all that often. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to address different things that we think are important, that matter, to our own walk with God and our involvement in the world. And my hope and prayer is that while we won't be able to exhaust all of the different elements of the different topics that we're going to address in these days to come, that it would spark conversation and questions and cause us to really lean into God and his word with regards to how we should respond and how we should act as followers of Jesus Christ within a very, very difficult world and culture that we live in. But this morning what I want to do is do an introduction. An introduction is a hard message to do because you don't want to blow the whole series in one sermon, but you also want to give enough that you as people uh, who are hearing it have something to take away. And so my desire this morning is to talk about what it means to navigate the minefield of the world we live in and the culture we live in, looking at these different minefields and these different landmines that we live amidst. To do so, I want to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. And I'm going to read this passage, and we'll get to this passage a little bit later as I introduce the subject matter and all that. We will use this as a way of application of how we are to, in fact, navigate the minefield that each of us finds ourselves in in this world. So let me go ahead and read this passage, and I'll just ask for a quick blessing on our time, and we'll jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says the following, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the Weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask for your blessing, not only on the reading of your word, but now the preaching of it the listening to it, and most importantly, Lord, the application of it. Father, I pray that we would have our minds transformed and that we would be changed so that we would no longer conform to the things of this world. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. So fill us and change us and make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Not only in how we love or how we serve, but Lord, how we think this morning. So I ask for a blessing uh, over all of the rest of this service for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, at the end of World War II, the United States um, had zero desire to get into another armed conflict. They had spent uh, the last five years fighting the Nazis and uh, of Germany and the Japanese Empire. And with those two surrendering in 1945, it seemed as if the war days were over. But sadly, because of the rise and because of the um, growth of communism, the United States would find itself just four short years after World War II in another armed conflict on the other side of the world, this time On the peninsula of Korea and in 1950 the United States would fight a four-year war pushing back communism off of the peninsula of Korea and as a result of that thousands of lives would be lost and when the United States got involved the North Korean communists had made their advancement to the 38th parallel um, uh, here on the globe and that became kind of the the point of, of stalemate and for fi- four years almost five years uh, the United States would fight and lose thousands of men only at the end of that war to find themselves exactly where they had started at the 38th parallel and now the war never stopped. In fact, it's the longest active war in U.S. history. It's been going on now for 70 years. And you ask, well, how can that be? Because there was never a treaty signed. We have a ceasefire right now with North Korea, and what has caused these two uh, governments, or these two nations, North and South Korea, not to continue fighting, even though they have a posture of war each and every day, is what is called the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. You can see it on the map, it's, it's about uh, three miles wide. Two kilometers on the north of the line and two miles on the south of the line. And and that line says you can't cross it. Now, what in the world would a line do that would allow uh, two armies not to invade their enemies? What is it about that line that would cause them to stay in their spaces? Well, I want you to know in that green space which again is about three to four miles wide and the length of the Korean peninsula it resides two million landmines. Two million landmines on the north side The North Koreans have approximately 1.2 million landmines guarding against the South Koreans. And likewise, the United States and the South Korean government have 800,000 landmines in that small area. How many of you would take the gamble and walk the demilitarized zone? Right? No way. Because you know that uh, landmines are viewed by most countries as brutal forms of warfare. In fact, in 1980, 130 countries made a treaty that landmines would no longer be used in the act of war. Now, a couple of the nations that didn't sign that treaty, the United States, North and South Korea. And there's a reason why I think it is because they just don't wanna clean up after themselves, right? So don't sign the treaty and then we don't have to clean up all these landmines. But what these landmines have done is kept these two warring nations on each side of their collective boundaries. And that has brought a level of, you can call it, peace. Now, recently, as of as late as October of 2018, the North and South Korean governments have been in talks of dismantling these landmines, and thousands of landmines were picked up and and deactivated in October, and there's talk now of more of it, but it will take years at that rate for the two million landmines to be taken away. You see, we would be foolish to think that we could walk amidst those landmines and not hurt ourselves. We would want to know everything we can about landmines, where they're placed, how they go off, what we need to be aware of so that we don't cause ourselves any harm. Because if you step on a landmine, it's lights out. You lose life. You lose limb. It's a dangerous endeavor to walk amidst a minefield. And wise individuals will stay clear. Foolish ones will walk in as if it's just a walk in the park. Well, I want you to know... This morning that you and I walk in a minefield every day We walk paths where there are landmines ready to destroy our life and destroy our way of thinking And has been set by sometimes ourselves set by uh, the world set by society set by the devil himself And the devil longs to use these landmines to uh, bring havoc and chaos into our lives. And what we need to recognize is is that this isn't a walk in the park, that we need to be careful, tiptoeing our way through this, understanding that if we were to step on one of these landmines, it could cause us great pain and sorrow. Now, to be able to understand this this idea of landmines, we need to do a couple things this morning. First of all, we need to define uh, what landmines are so we can understand them clearly. So we've got to define them clearly. What are we talking about? I'm not talking about physical landmines, metal landmines that have are explosive in nature. Uh, just so you know, the FBI might be calling me later this week. I looked on the internet because I wanted to buy a landmine. I thought it would be really cool. To bring one in, a deactivated one, and uh, so I looked on Amazon and some other places, and I'm not sure how the U.S. government feels about pastors whose family are from Iraqi descent uh, looking for landmines. So if I'm not here, if I'm not here next week, you'll know that uh, you are to visit me in jail because that sermon illustration went really, really wrong, okay? But I'm not talking about physical landmines, all right? As dangerous as they are, and as a great havoc and harm that they can bring, that's not what I'm talking about. So what am I talking about? Write this down in your outlines. What we're talking about when we talk about the subject of landmines, landmines are subjects or situations in our world today that tend to be explosive in nature. When they explode, they often create chaos and cause pain. Therefore, disarming them requires a steady heart and a sound mind. Now, let's understand exactly what I'm talking about here. Now that we've defined it, what are they? Well, they can be worldviews or societal opinions about social norms and practices. Things like racism, sexuality, issues like abortion and and gender issues, and, and even money where collectively the society has said, this is normal, this is right. And if you don't believe this way, if you don't affirm such things, then you are out of the mainstream. You are uh, in a place of intolerance or bigotry. That's a landmine. But they can also be these landmines, situations or scenarios of a personal nature. They can be landmines that have rendered you Great pain. they can be things or subjects that are taboo that they remain elephants in the room, both from the world 's perspective and even in the church. we just don 't talk about these things they 're too difficult they 're too hard, things like anxiety, addiction, abuse. they can also be current areas that have recently made headlines have made an uproar in our media where there are sides of the debate. A clamoring back and forth. We have landmines going off in our country all the time. The issue of immigration and the refugee movement. Politics. What we are to do with terrorism. The issue of white privilege. Classism. All of these are issues that our world and the media finds itself talking about. and is in the public square and and opinions are being formed on one side or the other. The trouble with these landmines is is there's a lot of opinions. Everybody seems to have an opinion about it, and talking heads seek to convince you and I of one thing or another. And that's why we have such a vested interest in this, not only because the world's talking about it, because each of these impact how we think, how we live, what we say is acceptable or not acceptable. And the dilemma that we have as Christians is that God seemingly has spoken with regards to these landmines. He's told us what uh, we are to do with regards to them, how we are to live in light of them. And, and the struggle that we have is, are we going to follow the mind of God? Or are we going to follow the world's thinking? Are we going to go about it the way God has commanded us to go? Or will we go our own way? And so we've got some real issues that we have to deal with. And if we're not careful, then we will find ourselves seeing explosion upon explosion in our lives and in the lives of those we love because we are not discriminating in our thinking of what we see and hear in the world we live in. So what are we to do? Well, we need to defend against it. We need to defend against the damage they cause. Notice that each of these landmines, each of these landmines impact the world that we live in. Now, right away, I told you about Korea. Two million landmines in a short little area, and that should be concerning to you. Number one, because you'll hear story upon story of people, even children, who have wandered into the demilitarized zone and have lost their lives because of landmines. And so we have concern about that. But, but quite honestly, let's, let's be clear, landmines have a, a close area that has an impact zone to it. What I mean by that is, as you walk out to the parking lot today, you're not going to tiptoe your way through the parking lot because there's landmines in Korea that may go off. You see, you've got to be close to these landmines for them to have an impact upon you. And they, as we look at our struggles with landmines, we need to recognize these hit close to home. Well, what kind of damage can they cause? Well, let's take the subject matter that we're going to deal with next week, the subject matter of sexuality. Sexuality. Now, this wasn't supposed to be a landmine. When God created sexuality, uh, he gave it to man and woman as a gift. He gave it to them in the confines of marriage. He gave it as a, a way of enjoyment and a way to show love towards one another and also a way to uh, procreate and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God intended for sexuality to be something of great good for us. But the devil and the world have taken God's good gift for us—that which we should be thankful for—and He has, uh, they have opened it up for all manner of opinions. That now to identify, according to the scriptures and God's clear calling of sexuality in our lives as human beings, is to be called bigoted and, and intolerant and, and, and misguided by the world's opinions. And perspectives now now what does this do I want you to notice it does three things number one when we start seeing two opinions about a subject matter it will bring confusion to the individual and so we have us as individuals sitting and we're hearing what the what God says on this subject matter of sexuality and God has clearly in his word articulated what is in bounds and what is out of bounds But the world says, Hollywood says, the media says, our friends say, our family says that if you enjoy it, if it feels good, if that's how you feel God has created you, then it's all good. Now we've got a problem. We've got two opinions, two opinions that quite if we were honest, we respect. We respect the opinion of God and we respect the opinion of those around us. But one opinion is going to win out. One opinion is going to win the day. And so what we've got to ask the question is, which opinion are we going to follow? Which argument is going to win the debate? And so with regards to this issue of sexuality, we have people, and my heart breaks for them, that they are utterly confused on what real and true sexuality looks like in our world. And they're missing out on the good that God had for that invention for mankind and womankind. And as a result of that, young people now, more than ever, every study shows that young people are more confused about what real sexuality is than ever before. Up means down, left means right these days. Everything has been turned on It's head and it brings confusion. God did not write his word so that we would be confused about it He wrote very clearly that there was an order to which how he wanted His creation to live and to act now here's the problem It doesn't just stay in the confusion of the individual it moves to conflict with others And so here's the problem. You agree, so let's say you're an individual who agrees with God's standards and God's teaching on the issue of sexuality. Well, there will be people in your world, people close to you, maybe people within your own family or friends or people you work with who will have a differing opinion on that particular matter. And they're going to say, listen, my perspective, they'll say, is right. And you'll say, but wait a minute, my perspective is right as well. That puts us into conflict with one another. Now, some will say, ignorantly, that what we should do is just let everybody do their own thing. Whatever you do in your house, that's fine, I'll do what I want to do in my house. Well, here's the problem, we all share a very, very small planet, and what I do and what I believe on any particular issue is going to determine the kind of laws that should be brought into existence, the kind of social norms that should be brought into it. It will determine how we educate our children, how we uh, define certain things. And so we've got two groups of individuals who are now waging war against one another. And what landmines do is they destroy friendships, they destroy families, they destroy uh, society as a whole. And so we've got all this conflict. Can I can I just be honest with you? If you've got a normal family, a normal family. There is no doubt subject matters, whether it's Christmas or birthdays or whatever holiday is that you get together that you just don't talk about. You just don't talk about. For some of you, it's politics. For others, it's religion. For others, it's Uncle Bob. For others, it's all manner of things. These are the landmines that I'm talking about. They bring confusion to the individual, conflict with others. But notice, because we live in a connected society, they're going to bring culture wars. They're going to bring culture wars. So we see this in the media, whether in television or on the radio. We see it in newsprint. We see it on the internet. And what we've got, the biggest organizations in our world today are media organizations. And I want you to know, and I don't mean this in a, um, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling mentality, but I want you to know if you think that these major conglomerates and, and companies don't have an agenda, you're wrong. There's an agenda to everything we do. The church has an agenda. We all have agendas. We all have things that we want to proclaim, that we want to push, that we want to see others, whether for good reasons or bad reasons, fall in love with. And so the major media outlets are all presenting things. And what is happening is, is that divide is becoming larger and larger that what's taking place is we're building camps for ourselves based on what we think or believe. So you can turn on certain channels and they'll agree with your position and you can turn on another channel and on the same topic, the same subject matter, they're talking the exact opposite. You can read publications and they'll do the same thing. You can go to websites and they'll do the same thing. We have an all-out culture war going on and some of us have lost sight that the culture war isn't the war that Christians are fighting. We're not fighting that war. And sadly, some of us in this place, maybe they were all in the first service, I'll just say that they were all in the first service, spend more time listening, sorry, listening to the pundits and the commentators more than they do God and His Word. You've got tuned in on your radio, tuned in on your television, hours of arguments, hours of debate, either affirming what you believe or, or uh, disproving the other side, and you fall in love with this, and you've never, it's never dawned on you, should I turn to God and his word? What does God have to say about it? Who cares what that commentator has to say? So what do we need to do? Well, we need to ask the question, Where do these landmines find their greatest area of control? We've got to determine that. So notice in the third point, we're going to determine the area of control. Where is it? Well, the problem isn't radio. The problem isn't television. The problem isn't uh, liberals. It isn't conservatives. The problem isn't any of that stuff. Listen to me very, very carefully this morning. Our problem with landmines is the issue of the mind. It's the issue of... Of the mind it's not someone else's problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's how we think There is a war that is battle that's going on raging 24 hours a day In fact in 1965 the olden days 1965 when everything was great 1965 Donald Gray Barnhouse a pastor wrote a book called the invisible war. This is what he says There's a battle going on for your mind and that battle is vicious. It's intense. It's unrelenting. It's unfair because Satan never plays fair. And the reason why it's so intense is that your greatest asset that God has given you is your mind. It's your mind. So write this down somewhere. Remember this. Whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever gets your mind Gets you and so the devil is going to do everything in his power to bombard you with messages ideas thoughts speculations opinions That he wants you to buy into That the world is buying into and so we need to learn How to guard against that how to strengthen and renew our minds? That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says Do not conform yourselves to the ways or to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Now, let's just stop there. Because Paul, back in the first century, Donald Gray Barnhouse in the 1960s, both of them before the internet, before uh, much of the technological advances we have today, said there was a battle going on for the mind in their day. And he says, be careful, because what the world wants to do is the world wants to squeeze you into its norm. It wants to squeeze you into thinking the way it thinks. It wants to mold you to become like them. But what God has called us to do is to be countercultural in many ways. To see things differently than the world does. And so how do we do it? Do not conform yourself to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by doing more ministry, right? Uh-uh. But transform yourself by giving more to the church right? No, but transform yourself by being at church every Sunday No, nope. all those things are good and they have their place But Paul says do not conform yourself to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind We need to make a mindset change. We need to look at life and look at the issues that come differently Well, how are we to do that? Look at our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says that we don't walk, though we walk in the flesh, that is we live, we have bodies, we go about interacting with other people who have bodies, that we don't wage war according to the flesh. This battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a battle of the mind. Now notice what's going on. There are strongholds, that is formed opinions about things. Notice he goes on. They're arguments and lofty opinions. Now, is there anything wrong with a good stronghold? Is there anything wrong with a good argument? Is there anything wrong with a good opinion? No, but what we're fighting against, notice, are opinions, strongholds, and arguments that go against, notice what the text says, against the knowledge of God. So there's this war going on. And the war that is taking place is a war that is between God and His ideas of how the world should be run, how people ought to live, how people ought to order their lives, whether in private or in public with other individuals, how they're to interact with one another. And then there's the world's ideas. And Christian, you and I stand smack dab in the middle of it, and we find ourselves vacillating from one opinion to another. We want to believe in the wisdom of God, but we see the wisdom of the world as something altogether pleasurable and altogether worth pursuing. And so we've got to do something with regards to our mind. What does the Bible say we should do with the world's arguments? We should destroy them. That doesn't sound very Christ-like, right? We should destroy not the people, not our opponents, but the arguments We need to destroy them or those arguments will blow up in and around you and hurt and harm you. And so notice these opinions and arguments are against God and His Word. So we need to take these things, instead of being led by them, instead of binging on them, we need to knock them down. We need to destroy them. So how do we go about doing that? We have to use our mind. Now, now here's the problem. Our mind's a fickle thing. The Bible has a lot to say about our mind, and none of it's really any good, especially when it talks to the natural man, the unredeemed man. And, And so this area that we've got to get under control is something that is completely and utterly out of control. Look to the screen. Here's what the Bible says about the unredeemed mind. It's confused. It's anxious, it's closed, it's evil and restless. It's rash and deluded, it's troubled, it's depraved, it's sinful, it's dull, it's blinded, it's corrupt. And so what's happening is, we hear two opinions. The opinion of God and the opinion of the devil seen in the world's systems and the world's ideas. And and we go, okay, well I'm going to use my mind and I'm going to discern which way I should go. But the problem is we go to that well, and that well's pretty dirty, isn't it? That well's pretty messed up. And so we wonder why we have difficulty vacillating between these two opinions or thoughts. The mind's messed up. This is why Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I can't or I won't, And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And so he's speaking, the great apostle Paul is speaking of this vacillation of turning to the left and turning to the right and struggling. And what he finishes up saying is that kind of existence, he goes, what a wretched man I am. I'm messed up. And so we are broken people preconditioned to misunderstand the things of God and to misunderstand the schemes of the devil and we find ourselves struggling to know which way is up The Bible says that the mind and the heart of man is desperately sick That no one can understand it And so what are we to do? We're to turn to Christ we're to turn to Christ. We are to make a, a, a real decision that we're going to turn and say, God, even though my body doesn't feel like it, God, even though the rest of my family says I'm a loony for going this way, God, even though it seems like your ways are old-fashioned and out of place, God, I am going to choose you. I'm going to choose your ways. I'm going to choose your statutes over the feelings or the prerogatives of the world. No matter what my body no matter what my mind seems to say about such subject matters Notice what Paul says He says to deal with these landmines. We have to disarm them. We have to disarm them We got to do it carefully because you can't just approach a bomb and start pulling wires, right? You're not gonna last as a bomb technician really really long We also need to recognize that we need to be careful as to how we navigate these minefields around us. So what are we to do first of all? Number one, to disarm the landmines around us, we need to take every thought captive. That comes right out of the text. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How? By taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So, I've got these two opinions that cause me to go back and forth. Now the question I have is, if I want to obey Christ, then I've got to take these other opinions, and not just leave them hanging there, but I've got to take them captive, literally make them my prisoner. Notice a couple things about this phrase. Number one, the diligence and the vigilance that is needed. Every thought Captive. That means every day you're in a battle mindset. There's no time to take a break, and there's no little bitty thought that doesn't need to be taken prisoner. That literally the Greek word there means to conquer, to control, to bring into submission. What Paul is saying is that if we are going to disarm the landmines around us that every thought that goes through our head and imagine all of the messages that your mind is receiving and interacting with on a daily basis, every one of those has to be brought into submission to Christ. So listen, when you watch the news, you do so by taking every thought captive to Christ. When your favorite singer sings a song, you take every thought captive under Christ. When you go with the billions of others to see Adventures 3000, you know, whatever it's called these days, and you watch what takes place, I haven't, but when you do, you take every thought captive. When your friends say something, you take every thought captive. When your body says something, you take every thought captive. You say, well that's a tiring thing. Well listen, would you rather be a little tired by taking every thought captive or would you rather lose half of your body to the shrapnel of a landmine? We need to take every thought captive. How do we do that? We bring it into submission to Christ. A writer put it this way. There's no other place in the cross of Christ where you can see Christ more clearly or love Him more dearly. It is here, it is here that is the place where your thinking will be most deeply purified and the worth of God will be most fully magnified. So, so let me ask you this. By taking every thought captive is to submit every thought at the foot of the cross. And say Jesus do you give approval to this Jesus is this right and is this good I'm gonna tell you that when I do that I'm amazed at the amount of programs I can't watch anymore I'm amazed at and I'm not perfect at it by the way this is a struggle and it's been a struggle because quite frankly Hollywood makes awesome movies there's a lot of things in those movies that aren't being taken captive in my own mind I'm always amazed by this just The things that I will watch and this is just me doing business with myself here The things that I would never do in real life. I find incredibly entertaining when it's on a screen The things that I pray against for my children and for my wife Are the things that get me, my blood boiling and worked up when I watch it take place on a screen? And I, listen, there's a lot of discernment on what movies we should watch and and all of that. Listen, I'm not trying to make a legalistic thing out of this because I'll fail any standard I create. But can we not agree that we're not taking every thought captive? Can we not agree that we're not taking the majority of our thoughts captive? Can we not just simply agree that we've gone throughout another week where rarely have we thought, whether it's with with another person or by ourselves or what we're ingesting from the media, that we've not stopped and said, what does Jesus have to say about that? Maybe it's just me. Notice that the second thing we need to do is we need to guard against garbage. This comes on the heel of taking every thought captive. There's an old adage, you are what you eat. Let me change that for you. You are what you think. You are what you think. It's going to be hard for you to see something as an affront to God when you see it as something funny on a sitcom. You can't do that. You can't separate your mind from your body. You cannot separate your thinking from your behavior. And so what you find entertaining will no doubt lead you and guide you, or you will find yourself, as the Bible says, a foolish man who is double-minded, unstable in all that he or she does. So what you watch tomorrow or what you listen to tomorrow or what you engage in tomorrow is different than what you engaged in today. God doesn't say, hey, thumbs up, you were great on Sunday, but you were lousy on Monday through Saturday. He says this, you're a fool. Why are you wasting your time on Sunday if you've already sold yourself in your heart and your mind to the things of this world, and then because you've not destroyed the strongholds that are around you. This is such hard stuff. Listen, easy to teach and hard to live out. The New Living Translation translates Proverbs 15, 14 in an awesome way. It says, a wise person is hungry for knowledge, but the fool feeds on trash. So let me ask you this morning, what are you feeding on? A man after God's own heart, David said, he didn't do it perfectly, but he said, I meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. How does a young man keep his way pure? How does a young man keep himself from sin? By meditating and, and memorizing and knowing the perfect word of God. So let me give you some applications. So, so arguments, ideas, thoughts are going to come. They're going to come from celebrities. They're going to come from commentators. They're going to come from movies. They're going to come from the internet. You're going to be bombarded as soon as you leave this place with all kinds of opinions. And you're like, well, I don't know which way is up. I don't know which way to believe. Well, I want you to to filter everything you do through Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Notice the connection what you think you'll inevitably do So let me ask you this morning What have you binged on this week? Does it fit what is true what is honorable what is just what is pure whatever is lovely what is commendable? Has it been worthy of praise you say, well, it's not that bad. I didn't ask that I Asked the question is it worthy of praise And if not, we need to start dismantling some of those arguments and getting rid of some of those things that are keeping us from the peace of God. Because that's what he wants for us. He's created us to live at peace with him, not at odds with him. And so the greatest blessing we can have is to be at peace with God. We've got to get rid of the garbage. You are what you think. So then, therefore, on the more positive side, never let up on learning. Never let up on learning. As evangelicals, our stream of Christianity, we are big in our churches when it comes to feelings. That's okay, that's good. We are people of emotion and of feelings. So many of the songs that we sing are expressive in nature. I want to feel something from God. I want to uh, feel, uh, we sang today, the embrace. I want to feel that embrace of God in my life. And they're warm, and they're touchy, and there's good to them. But the problem is, is that's not all God wants of us. God's not just a God of feelings. He's a rational God. He's a propositional God of truth. And so what we need to recognize is we need to love our God with more than just our heart and soul. And that's why the great commandment says we are to love our Lord God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And for evangelicals, that's it. That's the trifecta. Heart, soul, and strength. I'm going to experience love. I'm going to experience his goodness. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that warm and touchy feeling because I love Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to honor him with my gifts, with my giving and all that. That's good, but it's incomplete because God says I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and quite frankly many people have stopped learning when that that uh, cap and gown were put on your bodies you stopped learning you stopped reading you stopped investigating the claims of christ and the truths of god's word and because of that we've got a problem in our evangelical world Mark Knoll, who was a professor at Wheaton College and then moved on to be a professor of church history at Notre Dame University, wrote a book some years ago entitled The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And I love the opening line of this awesome book. It is an awesome book for you to read. He says the following. The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is no evangelical mind. And he's absolutely right. We leave our brains at the door. We've stopped learning. So we've got arguments. We're mad that people have different opinions of us, but the only thing we can conjure up out of our fetal, uh, feeble thinking is, "nan na a na, na, boo, boo you're a sinner, I'm not, Hehehe, heh. And that's it. And, and we wonder why the world says we're simple-minded, because we are bringing simple, lackluster arguments to any of the landmines that we're going to talk about. Dennis Prager, a political commentator who is of Jewish background, says this. And he loves evangelicals, but he's going to beat us up here for a moment. One thing I noticed about evangelicals is that they do not read. They do not read the Bible. They do not read great Christian thinkers. They have never read or heard of Aquinas. If if they're Presbyterian, they never read the founders of Presbyterianism to know what they believe or why they believe it. He says, I don't understand that. As a Jew, that's confusing to me. The commandment of study is so deep in Judaism that we immerse ourselves in study. God gave us a brain. Aren't we to use it for his service? When I walk into an evangelical Christian's home and see a total of 30 books, most of them bestsellers, I don't understand. I have bookcases of Christian books, and I'm a Jew. Why do I have more Christian books than 98% of the Christians in America? That is so bizarre to me. You say you love Jesus. Are you reading about him? You say you love Jesus. Are you pondering the truth of what that Jesus did? Quite frankly, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, we spent way more time on Netflix and Facebook and Twitter and every other social media platform than we have on God and what he's doing in the world, whether through his word or through the writing of men and women who love him because we don't read. We've given up on learning. Landmines are all around us my friends and god has called us to engage them without losing life and limb God has given us everything we need We don't have to be blown up by these landmines that come our way, but we have to trust them We have to submit our thinking to his and allow him to transform our lives each and every day each and every thought framing our thinking through christ and the cross Let me close with a quote from John Piper who says, I pray that you will love God with all your mind. That you will engage your thinking as fully as possible for the sake of knowing God as fully as possible. For the sake of treasuring God as fully as possible. God is a deep well. How much are you drinking it in? How much are you taking in the truth of your God and what he means to us and what he's done for us? Or is it simply good enough to have a childlike faith and say, you know what? I don't need to move on. The people of the book of Hebrews did that and the writer said, you need to move on from the milk and move to the meat of the word. Let us be thinkers. Stealing the adage from Ravi Zacharias's ministry, let my people think. Because when we do, These landmines will be seen way before we ever step on them and destroy our lives.